Welcome to the Survival Podcast for people who take movies too seriously. We survive the apocalypse, so you don't have to. I'm Johnny. And I'm Shane. And this week... No thanks to the plane, most of us are still alive. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do, you, do you know that reference? Uh, no. Marge, the therapist said watching some films about air travel oh, are one way to help you get over your fear. And then cut to... I was gonna like, was that line in the movie? I was like really confused there. When you think about it, like, The Simpsons had no shame about, like, just taking the piss out of stuff that were very recent. Yeah, yeah, at the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess the, the the event happened in 1972, so it wasn't recent, but... I know, but the movie, I suppose, was, what, 94 or something? Um, 93. 93. So, of course, if you haven't guessed this week, I'm sure you saw the title anyway... Because it's the season, we decided to do something Christmassy, so uh, we, we went with yeah. what I feel is a Christmas classic, Alive. Oh, absolutely. I believe I mean, it means there's snow. There's snow. They also <laughs> sing Silent Night at one point. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, what else do you want? Yeah. Sure, yeah. like, it's not a, like, a Santee-type movie, but, I mean, what's more Christmassy than a, a story of survival on a mountain where they have to eat their friends? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but before we get into the film, if you would like to go and give us a rating on Apple's podcast or a review, you can also review us elsewhere, but uh, Apple Podcasts uh, is what matters. Both Podcast Addict have a review section too, and a bunch of others. Uh, it, it really helps, and it would just make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, and not cold and horrible by mm. this snow. Um, but I do think this is... Is this our Christmas episode? Potentially. We'll probably record something next week as well, but yeah. Well, Potentially. as we're recording this, our last our last episode hasn't actually gone up. It'll probably go up tonight or tomorrow. Oh, so yeah. then next week, like, you know, we're not going to put up two episodes in, in one week, you know. So this will probably go up the 19th. I mean... Yeah. Then it's not even a week to Christmas, so I think this is our Christmas episode. Oh, will you put in a little fire crackling in the background noise of this one? With um, just chewing sounds over? Yeah, just... just. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel this is actually, for me, this actually is quite fitting to do for Christmas because I really could not give a shit about Christmas this year. <laughs> I, I <laughs> normally couldn't really give a shit about Christmas anyway, but like this year, I'm like, I don't think I'll even bother do anything. Yeah, and I think it's a lot going, of people probably feel that way. But you're gonna go home to your mummy? I'm not sure. With the way things are, I don't know what yeah. the story is. But I'm not really fussed one way or the other. Don't think she is either. Don't think anybody in my family re- it really is. So. I mean, well, all I can say is, fingers crossed for you, that it sets a new tradition, that you just do nothing for Christmas forever. And <laughs> what, a, what a relief that would be. be yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'll do anything for it. I just, I really don't care about it. I feel that way. Like, I I am, um, I've no interest in presents at all. Like, I don't want them. Like, I actually, I actually don't mind buying people presents, but... Every year, people are like, "Oh, what? Like, what do you want for Christmas?" I'm like, "I don't know." Well, I I hate when people people ask me because, like, the only thing I've ever liked about Christmas is like the surprise. 
It doesn't matter yeah. if it's like something somebody bought for fucking ten euro in a pharmacy <laughs> or oh, yeah, yeah. something like it's just like I, I liked it. I like the the surprise of just somebody getting you a random present that they just happened to see and thought, Oh, he might like that. Okay, no, just buy Johnny random present. <laughs> um. But it's the classic thing that it's the thought that counts. That somebody saw yeah. something, no matter how mo- how like cheap or how expensive it was, they just saw it and thought Johnny'd really like that. And it might just be some joke present. I like that thing, that idea. Yeah, yeah. When somebody asks me what I want, I'm like, just don't get me anything. Like that's yeah, what that's, I want. Like, yeah, that's kind of my attitude. I like, want you uh, to like if if you see something that's funny or that or. Yeah, that just sticks out. Then that's what I want. Feeling that n- nothing because like I can just anything I want. I'll just I'll, eventually I'll buy it myself. Otherwise, it's like well then it's shit I can't afford. So like I'm not asking you to go out and buy me a fucking I don't know a computer or, or a Tesla yeah. or I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> well, that's like my thing is like, uh, like a lot of my family and stuff this year, they were like, "Oh, sure, send me your Amazon wish list and stuff." I was like, "My Amazon wish list is literally like fancy light bulbs for like my video lights and stuff." I was like, "I don't want you to buy me that yeah, shit for Christmas." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like microphones that might be better for doing the podcast and stuff. I was like, "No, you're okay, thanks." <laughs> and, uh, and then I have to like sit down and think of like, what do I want my mommy to get me for Christmas or something? I literally went online and bought a jumper and sent it to my mom's house and said, you can give me this for Christmas this year. <laughs> so it's, but isn't it just so un-Christmassy? Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> I usually, like, when I'm forced, I usually just say, like, buy me any book from writers that you, and, and, like, people you know I might like if it's been published in the last two years. Because I never buy books when they're new releases. Cause they're so in anything, anything Dean Koontz, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what I say to a lot of people now is, just buy me a bottle of whiskey. As long as it's not Paddy, I'll be happy. And it's not even like oh, I drink loads of whiskey. Like I've seeing a bottle of whiskey on my shelf that I didn't pay for makes me really happy. Mm. I know that sounds really weird, but like no, that that's good. But... I, you know, and I might have one measure a week. Mm. You know, and it's but knowing it's there is really satisfying to me. Yeah, yeah. It's always nice as well when somebody's over and you're like, oh, try some of this. This was a, a gift from, or whatever, you know. Yeah. And especially if they get you, like, some, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be expensive, but just if they no. got you some, like, Japanese whiskey or something like that. Yeah, something unusual. Uh, like, my no. ex's father got me a Japanese whiskey for Christmas one year. Wow. And it was fucking lovely. But um, it was just really nice to have, like, a Japanese whiskey somebody bought. Well, before we get into the film, let's uh, just run through what actually happened here, because this might be one people don't aren't completely aware of. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so the story is of the Ugarian uh, ru- amateur rugby team who, uh, in 1972, on October 13th, crashed, or were in a plane, first of all, I left that part out, that crashed in the Andes in Argentina. Uh, the crash initially yeah, on, their way to Chile, on their way to Chile, Chile for a, a, a rugby game. Uh, the crash initially killed twelve people, leaving thirty-three survivors, a number of whom were injured, at an altitude of around eleven thousand five hundred feet. And yeah, the group faced 
horrendous weather conditions, snow, freezing temperatures. They had a small amount of food consisting mainly of chocolate and, and wine, which I guess at least that's good. And they rationed it out, but it only lasted a week. And eventually, after a couple of weeks, the survivors succumbed to uh, eating the corpses of their friends, those who had died in the crash. Over the next few weeks, six more died. And then one of the worst things, as if that wasn't bad enough, one of the worst things that could possibly happen happened on October 29th when an avalanche buried the remainder of the plane in snow, causing eight more deaths. Uh, eventually, they were down to, when they were down to just 16 people, three of the strongest survivors set out looking for help. Uh, one of them had to turn back. Couldn't go anymore. Well, was kind of sent back as well, but we'll get to that. Uh, and 10 days after a 40-mile hike, 40 miles doesn't sound like a lot, but a 40-mile hike over the Andes Mountains yeah. uh, with no gear, with uh, shopping bags on their feet, no supplies. Two of them eventually made their way to Chile uh, and found a group of farmers that were able to send for help. And that's basically the story of this film. In a nutshell, yeah. just in, in case. But it's going through, like, a, <laughs> even at that, it sounds fucking harrowing. But when you actually, when we get into the film, it's oh. fucking hell. I forgot so how harrowing. miserable the film is. Yeah. This is, um, I was going to say, but now it's kind of irrelevant. Um, because you've given me the dates there, a bit more of a breakdown. from But from watching the film... It's kind of, you're not sure exactly how long it's been when the avalanche happens. Mm. Um, I kind of had it in my head. And I was going to put out a theory that uh, did the avalanche happen at all? And was it a case of those eight people object to the cannibalism? So they just killed them <laughs> and said there was an avalanche. Um, but it was way too long that they had to have already been eating people at that point. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, just... Um... Just in case you have any further theories like that, I I, I do want to point out uh, they're all still alive, and uh, that is definitely slander. I know, yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> keep those theories to theory. yourself. It's just a theory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Based on my viewing of a movie, which does have fictional elements or exaggerated elements or whatever. Is, uh, yeah. Well, actually, the thing is, I, I don't. It's pretty. It's pretty. Um, True though. Yeah, I don't think the movie actually has any. I think just a, a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff not in it. Like, um, yeah, that was one of the criticisms that this sort of it didn't show the sort of breakdown of the sort of group unit, the the sort of the the Lord of the Flies aspect where oh yeah, people fell out with one another and there was arguments over leadership, which is to be that's to be expected when you're trapped there for seventy two days. But I think, like all the actual events, when you when you look into the true story, yeah, the sort of the A to B to C of the film seems very accurate, extremely accurate. Uh, they didn't speak English, I assume, but <laughs> yeah, with American accents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of them do speak English because I've seen interviews with them. Right. Yeah, they with with very heavy. Uh, South American accents. Yeah. Um, but what did you think of the, the film overall? As a just as a film. Um, oh, I thought it was great. I thought it was good. It's yeah. hard. It's a hard watch because it's, it's just a, a it's subject matter. Of it. 
that's it. Yeah, yeah. It just it doesn't doesn't hold back. There's um, like there's like two sort of lighthearted comedic moments throughout the yeah, whole yeah. film, and it's a two hour ten minute film. Yeah, it's long. So. That's but that's unheard of to have like just two two comedic moments. But yeah, it's hard to it's hard to price some comedy out of something like that. And apparently, the the comedic moments are true. Like one being the uh, there's it's a character like... who who's a agnostic. Oh yeah, yeah. And every time he, he one of the other players is very religious, and he keeps asking them to pray, and he never does. He just says, "I'm agnostic," and he refuses. And yeah, then, like, yeah. it's after the first avalanche. It's like a week after that. They're sitting in there one night. And he asks him to pray, and he says, no, I'm agnostic. And straight away you hear the rumble, as if there's going to be another avalanche. And he just starts praying. But <laughs> yeah. uh, well, apparently that happened. That's mad. Now, I, I, I imagine that even the, the, the survivors exaggerated it. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't imagine that it sounded like an avalanche was going to come on cue. <laughs> As soon as he said, I'm yeah, agnostic. Yeah, I'd say it was more a few hours later. Or whatever. But either way, that was how they felt about it. So he started praying because he he taught that. So it's a, it's an accurate representation of how yeah. the character felt. Well, well, the movie kind of gives the impression that, like, because the, the religious guy is, he's pushing, he's kind of doing these, like, prayer services, or they're doing a rosary, which is how many fucking prayers is in a rosary? So that takes time. So, like, they're doing he's doing a whole big prayer session. So obviously like, yeah, it all happens within like two minutes in the movie, but I'm sure in real life it all happened over an hour or two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, And what do you think the other one is when they sled down the man? Oh yeah. I wasn't considering that a comedic moment. That was just like a bit of a feel good moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the other comedic moment? Now I can't actually think of it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. That's... It was something with Ethan Hawke, anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, God, I can't actually remember it now. I was more, fo- I was very focused on that, but I just had the men- made the mental note that there was t- that there was two. Yeah, but, yeah, I can't actually remember what other one I was thinking of. There's some pretty funny moments where your man is like, just the guy who's like, "Do you know what day it is today? It's this guy's birthday." <laughs> That was then, it. It was then, the, then, the, it's yeah. my birthday. You're not going to believe this. It's my it's birthday. My birth. <laughs> that was it. That was it. That was, was like, that was extremely funny. And I was like straight away. I was like, "You're a fucking liar. It's not your birthday. <laughs> you just want a cigarette." Okay. But but the thing I found so one of the things we we should mention is that when they do crash, one of the few things they have an endless supply of it is cigarettes. Yeah, it is. Uh, so like he he would have had cigarettes anyway. I, I don't think I there's know, a problem. Yeah, yeah. With no, it was only mezzo. No, no, no. But it's a fair point because like I think he just wanted that little bit of attention. It was just like to have them sing happy birthday and give him a snowball with a cigarette in it. That that was enough to just make him feel better. That's it. Yeah, it just it's a, it's a moment of feeling good. Yeah, like, yeah. In such a miserable situation, I can't believe they did. What was it? Seventy four days or something. Seventy two. Like, that's just. It's incredible. That's, ins- that's unbelievable. It's so long to be yeah. living in like half an airplane, like in the snow in the mountains. It's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's it is one of the like most incredible stories of survival ever. 
And speaking of that, actually, just speaking of stories of survival, so the film was directed by John Marshall, right? So he's yeah. mostly a producer, like he's produced him and uh, Kat, you know Kathleen Kennedy. She's now like the producer at Disney. She's over Star Wars. Yeah, I saw her name in the credits. I was like, oh no way. <laughs> yeah, like him and her used to. They had a production company and produced hundreds of movies together, like all the way from like E.T. up until whenever she left and went to Disney. Yeah. So he only directed a handful himself, but. Uh, <laughs> he's he's got a pattern. He's uh he's, I I would say he's he's a bit of a disaster artist, cause so he, oh. he he's only directed essentially uh kind of survival or disaster movies. Oh really? And now only a handful. So he direct his first his directorial debut was Arachnophobia. Ah, oh, great movie! An episode we've always said we we would like to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he done a, a live an episode we're doing we're now doing. he then done congo another episode <laughs> <laughs> we we want to do and yes. then in 2006 he done eight below oh well have you do you know that it's another true it, it's a disney movie so it's more of a feel-good kind of thing but it's a true story yeah. of what's your man who's that guy fast and furious guy deceased oh um paul something uh, yeah um paul walker Paul Walker. Paul Walker's in it. Where it's like it's a he's like a survival expert that's like leading a, a research group. Ah, uh, cool. Somewhere and there's a storm and they have to leave, but like they can't take his sled dogs uh, on the plane, so he leaves to try and get back to the dogs or something to save the dogs. Yeah, he's yeah. following that. Just a crazy man who uh, couldn't leave his dogs behind, which I respect. Yeah, you can't respect. <laughs> but of course, they made it into a, they made it into like a, a Disney movie. Yeah, I guess it fits. It fits that. But, uh, but, so that was his last. That was two thousand six. That's the last thing he directed until this yeah. until this year. Uh, he had a film out this year. So, given his track record, Arachnophobia, Alive, Congo, and Eight Below, the only films he he directed himself over like twenty twenty five years. Oh, what yeah. do you think? What do you think he made this year? Um, I'm trying to think what came out this year. There's very little that came out. You probably haven't heard of it. Will, will I just tell you? Yeah, the Bee Gees biopic. I knew it was going to be something way off. I was trying to think of something like, you know, he did like crawl Avenger, like, or something. Yeah, or, he, uh, or uh, I was going to say, oh, did he make underwater or something? You know. The, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really funny. <laughs> so is he just the guy who's a producer, and then when he can't get a director, he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. Well, I think looking at the the four credits he had up until the Bee Gees, I think he just clearly likes the more kind of survival-y type movies. And is a Bee Gees fan. <laughs> and is a Bee Gees fan. Yeah. Well, Arachnophobia is not so much survival. That's more like disaster, horror movie kind of, like general. I can't really remember that film, actually. I think it's more comedic. Oh, there's a good bit of survival. Yeah, there's a good bit of survival. Oh, I remember being terrified of that movie. I've said it before on this, but I watched it in my uncle's farmhouse <laughs> like, oh, during a storm yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was about seven. What to do with like my older brothers and sisters and cousins and stuff. 
And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm terrifying. Su- I'm surprised he hasn't directed more though, because like Alive in Congo, like they're very famous for. So is Arachnophobia. Yeah, yeah, they're big movies, man. And he does seem to like doing things for real. Like Congo was shot in the Congo. Uh, Alive obviously wasn't shot eleven thousand five hundred feet up in the Andes Mountains, but was shot in the. Canadian Rockies, Rockies. Canadian Rockies, yeah. At like close enough, I think they shot it in like a hundred feet up or something. Yeah, they had to get helicopter dropped and then hike every day to like the yeah. set and stuff. That's crazy. And it, to be fair, like that's a crazy thing to do just to make a movie, but it worked. Like you know, you really notice it. Like you watch that film, you know they're not on a set. Yeah, actually, that that's what I thought. There is there's a few points like just after the crash, and there's a few night scenes where it's clearly like rear projection. Yeah, and they're on like the same stage. Have, yeah, and I, I remember I was at that point in watching it and going, "Oh, this is a really smart way to do a movie like this cheaply." And then the next like half an hour is they don't leave the fuselage of the plane; it's the set of the plane, and I was like. Oh, like this, this is a, that's a really smart way to do this movie cheaply. And then the whole next like hour and twenty minutes is just them out in the mountains. I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting. This. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'd seen it years and years ago, but I just wasn't ex- like looking through it as somebody who's trained in film and all that. Kind of, I was like, oh no way, <laughs> I didn't expect this. Yeah, I I think the I saw this like when it was on TV originally, so it was in like four yeah. by three. Which yeah, I yeah. think hurt it a lot. This is the first time I saw it. Like I, I got uh, well, I legally streamed it because it's not available anywhere. So I don't mind admitting that. I watched the same stream because you sent me the link. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was a really good quality stream, and I yeah, it was yeah. I, I for the first time I actually realized oh no, this actually was a proper movie because I think in my head I actually thought it was a TV movie. I remembered it as being yeah, a TV yeah. movie. But it's not. It's like a. It's a very polished, like cinematic film. Like I remember seeing it as like an older for, kid. for the time, obviously. Yeah, I remember seeing it as an older kid. So I'm trying to think. If it came out in '93, I'd have been about eight. So I was probably about twelve when it was on. Like whatever it was, like the big movie on BBC or whatever. Like, it was TG Carter. It's a pure TG Carter film. Yeah, but whenever, like, because I remember watching it with like my family mm-hmm. and gathered uh, around the fire on Christmas Day to watch it live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, as is but, tradition. But of course, like my mum and dad remembered when this happened and this was story was in the news and stuff. You know, in the seventies. So yeah, they yeah. Like, so they really wanted to see it, kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was the first time I heard of like this idea that like, they ate each other. And I meant to look it up, and I totally forgot to do it. I meant to look it up today. I remember Spitting Image did a spoof of it when it came out. Right. And I meant to look it up. Because um, to my, like, without even looking it up now, like, I have, a, a, and I could be completely wrong, but I have the, the joke in Spitting Image was that like they're even eating themselves, sort of the point where they're just a couple of heads in the snow, and they're like, "Pass me more foot, pass me more foot," and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I was just going to say that uh, that's a probably a good point to bring it in because it's it's relevant to the real life events and stuff. Their attitude is um, like the pilots got us into this; it's their fault. And I was kind of watching it going, "Well, you know, there's a storm and these things happen," but then I looked it up, and it was completely the pilots' fault. <laughs> 
<laughs> like they took a wrong turn. They misread their instruments. They took this really important right turn. So they were in the Andes much sooner and at a lower altitude than they should have been. And also like they just well, totally fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, okay. So let's get into that. That's a, a good yeah, yeah. thing. Cause the film doesn't go into this. So, the backstory to this is so it's members of uh, an Irish Catholic university, uh, an old, or an old Christian club, either yeah. terms, uh, a rugby team, rugby union team. Uh, you'll see it. They mention amateur rugby team a lot. Um, yeah. e- every rugby team would have been amateur back then. Yeah, like they all have. They're all like students. St- like one of them's a med student, and they're yeah, studying yeah, different yeah. things. And they're some of them are job day jobs. So they're almost like modern ga players, where they have. They're not full time rugby players. Yeah, well, there was no, there was no full time rugby players yeah, yeah. then. Like rugby only became a, a professional sport in the eighties, as far as I know. All right. I think um, Ireland's rugby team only became professional in like the early two thousands. Oh yeah, yeah, probably. Because so like they are students, but they'd have been like twenty, twenty one. They, they're the age that uh, a lot of professional rugby players would would be now. Yeah, yeah. Like the fact that they're chartering their own plane. You know, they're obviously amateur rugby was a, a big thing, and it eventually went pro because it was becoming popular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, that's another thing. They were chartering their own flight because it was cheaper than uh flying commercial a lot of people i i listened to a podcast about this just to get some extra information and a lot of oh, yeah. uh, the the conversation was about like they mentioned that they were flying private but they were oh, yeah there's services that have like old air force planes and you yeah. can like charter one and if you fill you it's then it's up to you to like fill the seats to cover the cost of the plane it's not like you just pay a fee and a couple of you fly wherever you want that's what yeah. a private flight is but not that that's important it's just kind of a no no but it, in this is it's like it's basically they're like hiring a coach to bring their team to another city but yeah the fact that it's so far away it have to be a plane and there's so many of them but it's a, the reason i mention it is because you know if you saw the film you will notice that there's strangers on the plane there's people yeah, they don't yeah. know there's that woman that uh, gets her legs crushed and is screaming isn't the she first someone's night. mother or something, no? Um, no, um, Nando's mother is on the plane and she dies. I think she dies off screen. But that woman is... I even wrote down her name, actually, just to... Gracella Mariani. She bought a seat on the plane from them to go oh, to attend yeah. her oldest daughter's wedding. Yeah, like, if you actually think about that scene, nobody does seem to know her. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because yeah. even the the guide who who lashes out at her, he says the next morning, like I called that woman a bitch, but he called her that woman, not you know he yeah. he'd know her name. I thought I thought that was Nando's mom because he was unconscious at that point. Yeah, so I, it so. does it does play like that, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm yeah. putting the wrong information together, but I believe anyway that she's a, a stranger who just bought. No, no, now that you say it, that makes sense. Yeah. I think there were I think there was six people on the flight that were just people that bought seats because they had six uh, freed up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like the rest were that's why there were so much family members, so, so, so many family members on it because they had the, they chartered it so they had seats to spare. Yeah, yeah. So the the plane they chartered it from the air force and it was a U.S. 
Med playing Cult the Fairchild, FH2270. And most of them have crashed or something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, this this uh, plane, this particular plane, was nicknamed by the Ukrainian Air Force as the Lead Sled. <laughs> which, uh, that's not something you want to... To, to get in really is it isn't that it was too heavy for the engines that were on it or something it's so it's just slug of a thing yeah yeah it departed on 12th of october 1972 but there was a storm over the andes that forced them to stop in mendoza overnight uh-huh. and so this is what you were saying at the start so their destination was santiago and that was on the west of mendoza uh but the fairchild was not built to fly any higher than 22,500 feet or 6,900 meters. Not very yeah. high. So the yeah. pilots had to plot a course south where the aircraft could clear the Andes and then make a turn over the pass and come back north. That's insane. Yeah, and just because it couldn't fly over the mountains. Yeah. And so, about an hour after takeoff, the pilot, on the second day, the pilot notified air controllers that he was flying over the pass and turning back north. Oh, yeah. The pilot, however, had uh, misjudged where he actually was. And he hadn't cleared the Andes. So, he, he asked to be cleared for landing because he thought he was in the wrong, or he thought he was past the mountain. But he wasn't, so they gave him clearance, and he started he, he started the dissension, oh, and that's that's what happened. <laughs> There's he that just, moment. That's why, like, they like, come out of the cloud and they're in the mountains, and they're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> yeah, should we be? Should the wings be that close to the mountain? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh, yeah because it's crazy. It was a major fuck up, but. It, a lot of it just comes down to the plane that that they were flying, I guess. Yeah, but it nearly it nearly sounds like it wasn't the tool for the job, so they shouldn't have used that plane. But these guys had chartered it in the company, but like who was behind the the company who who, who flew flew it? Like they they are clearly at fault there as well. Like they should. Well, I think it's just like I think it's just like the air force just leasing out old planes, kind of thing. Because, yeah. like, the pilot, did, I, I don't have the stats down, but, like, I read up on the pilot, and he was a former Air Force pilot, and he had, like, I, I can't remember the number, because the numbers wouldn't even make pilot. sense. Yeah, the, the numbers wouldn't even make sense to me. I wouldn't know what's considered good or bad, but it seemed, the fact that it was even mentioned, it was like this, he he had a, a lot of hours yeah, flew yeah. on a plane. Yeah. It was just he missed, he just there was just one fatal error where he um, he thought he'd cleared the mountains. He literally, yeah. From what I read, it was basically I think it was like a right turn, and he took the right turn too early, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, he just threw a passageway. Like, yeah, he took that turn too early. That's he thought he had that. Yeah, and here's a here's a fucking terrifying thing. Do you know how far they were from actual actually landing in the airport? No. Eleven minutes. Oh, but it was like forty kilometers. 
walking. Well, yeah, for them, like in a plane, it was eleven minutes. I mean, that might yeah. with, with being in the Andes, that might as well be a million miles away. But the fact that yeah. if they just like they were only eleven minutes away from just landing safe and, uh, and their lives not changing in any significant way. Oh, that's insane. Eleven minutes versus seventy-four days or seventy-two days. Sorry. Mm. And everything that comes with that. There is a, a description here from Roberto Canessa, one of yeah. the team members, and I guess like this is this sounds pretty much like what happened in the film. So he yeah. said that he thought the pilot turned north too soon and began the descent while the aircraft was too high in the Andes. Then he began to climb until the plane was nearly vertical and it began to stall and shake the aircraft. Ground collision alarm sounded, alarming all of us. Uh, the pilot applied maximum power in an attempt to gain altitude. Uh, all witness accounts and evidence at the scene indicate the plane struck the mountain either two or three times. And it's Jeez. amazing, but and and here's the thing. So at that, twelve people die in that uh, by different means. Some of them, uh, most of them are in the tail and get yeah, pulled yeah. out. A few of the others die on impact. Uh, but just that alone, the fact that thirty trees survive is insane. Oh, it's incredible for that many people to survive a plane crash like that. That's just unheard of. Like they land, and it's not over. The the fuel slash continues to fucking roll down the mountain. <laughs> it eventually stops at a glacier, uh, three thousand five hundred and seventy meters above, uh, or eleven thousand seven hundred and ten feet. An unnamed glacier at the time that's now called the Glacier of Tears. Yeah, I heard I read that. That was cool. <laughs> and there's an iron into one of the mountains beside it there's a giant iron cross embedded into it oh yeah in honor of them yeah which is kind of cool but yeah anyway it's a mistake but like the official investigation did conclude that it was down to pilot error yeah it's crazy but i would say Um, it's down to like like you were saying company error like it sounds like they just shut that plane should not have been doing this job yeah it wasn't the right tool for the job. Yeah. I know fucking nothing about planes, but I think if 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 it can't reach the altitude to get over the mountain it's meant to be flying over and has to do a longer like detour around it, that just doesn't sound like the, the plane for the job for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. Like if like imagine you you're charting that plane and someone's explaining that to you, you're like, Okay, well um how much for the better plane? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do they tell you? Do they tell you that shit when you're chartering a plane? Though? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess this this is the thing that's done really well in the movie that I think uh, a lot of people how a lot of people would act. Like first of all, the fact that you you would right, you have the initial impact and you're seeing that you're discovering that a lot of your passengers are dead beside you. Like there's that's horrible. Yeah, oh yeah. And you're hearing people there's injured guys there's people with broken legs there's a lad with a fucking big metal object sticking out of his stomach but there is also this underlying sort of they're they're all just happy to be alive yeah it's kind of 
you're like, woohoo, we survived. Yeah. Well, like once, because you know they've got two. There's two, two, two members of the team were were studying medicine, so yeah, they're so lucky that they had them one in particular who who was able to treat a lot of the injured and once they kind of get that under control they have this attitude of just like okay we just need to wait for a few days and the rescue team will be along yeah yeah and of That's course he would be like that because you're like it's not the 20s it's 1972 we do have radar they're gonna find yeah. us any day like we just need to we just need to wait this out for a few days this is gonna be a hard like two or three days but yeah we'll be good and of course he would be like that. Uh, of course he would. So Shane, we 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 done um, Final Destination yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. Well, last month, two months ago, anyway. Yeah. Which also is about a plane crash. Yes, it is. And in that episode, you mentioned that you always just assumed that if you're ever in a plane crash, you'll yeah. probably survive. Yeah, I don't know why. Just, I just don't always have thought that. <laughs> but obviously, like that, you're not really afraid of being in a plane crash then, because you figure you'll just survive. I reckon. Does watching the crash scene in this make you feel any differently? No, no, I'll definitely be alive. <laughs> you'll be alive. No thanks yeah. to the plane, you'll be alive. <laughs> Uh, so, and, and like, do you think do you think you'll come out with no injuries? Like, you'll beat Bruce Willis in in Unbreakable. I don't know, a couple of scraps and bruises, maybe a broken <laughs> bone or something. But uh, I think I think my biggest wound would be an empty stomach, Johnny. I <laughs> <laughs> like. I've seen you at buffets and at weddings. Uh, that would probably that would probably hurt you more than anything else. I was I was going to say that when we got to that point in the conversation of <laughs> man, I have such a high metabolism, like I I don't know how it could cope. Yeah, like for <laughs> like listeners, a... there's pictures of Shane out there at weddings and stuff that I've been to, where he's like he's got food and bow hands. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like if there's a buffet, it's just like everyone's staring at me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you're also you're like you're a grazer as well. You're kind of just constantly yeah. eating. <laughs> yeah, I just constantly eat all day. Especially like even more so now working from home because oh, yeah. uh, all my food is here. So like I used to bring like I, was, I bring all my food with me to work because I hate spending money in delis and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like once I run out of food, then I just be like, oh, I guess I go to the shop and buy a pack of crisps or something. It's, it's <laughs> where funny. Oh no, sorry. Where like here, yeah, I like I eat like my five a day of fruit and veg by like twelve o'clock in the day, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like wondering when lunch is going to be. It's funny. I've actually been the complete opposite since like like this year. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I guess it's. Because for me, it's like, because I do be out a lot, whether it's like doing jobs or just like visiting friends. Like I just, I, I usually don't spend an awful lot of time in my house. Oh yeah. When things are normal. So I'm constantly like, if I'm out somewhere, like say I have a job I'm going to do, or if I have to, or I'm meeting somebody, I'm like, I'll get some food in the way so I'm not hungry two hours from now. Yeah, yeah. I but I think like that throughout the entire day. So two hours from now, I'm still like... 
I might be hungry in another two hours, so I'll get something now anyway. So I just keep kind of like eating small meals like every two hours throughout (laughs) the day. (laughs) Or I'll just, maybe that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? I'm constantly just kind of thinking about where I'm going and will I be hungry then? I better eat now. (laughs) So as I'm not. Almost like I don't know where the next meal is coming from. So I'm, I'm like a dog, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, but now with the lockdowns and stuff and I'm at home the whole time it's like well I don't have that concern so I'm kind of like now I'm actually eating breakfast at like 8 in the morning oh, I yeah. might have a snack before lunch and then I have lunch then I have dinner and a meal in the, a small meal in the evening and that's it like yeah you're kind of you're not in as much survival mode because yeah. you're, home, you're, you're and I don't even like space. I used to eat like a lot of like I'd have like a yogurt, a few yogurts randomly, a banana, some, I don't know, some nuts or something. I, I don't do that at all anymore. It's just like I'm just having like my meals now and they're kind of the same time every day and I don't think about food any other time. It's oh, it's yeah. weird, but it's it's weird because you mentioned you being the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, like I, I've discovered this weird thing where, because like my routine obviously because I had a commute into the city and I'd be, like I'd be up at like, quarter to seven in the morning and then I'd have to have breakfast at like seven o'clock and then I'd get to the office and then I'd have like a second breakfast like at whatever half eight quarter to nine because I'd be hungry again you know what I'm saying mm. and um, then uh, but now here at home I've, I've discovered this weird thing of like so instead of uh, being up that early I'm like getting out of bed at ten to nine and I'm logging on to work at five to nine <laughs> mm. and then I'll like log on and then like get dressed and like get a glass of water. And then I might be like, Oh, I have an email and I'll start working. And it could be like through the day I had breakfast at like half 11 because I just got re- I was really busy from the get go straight off in the morning. Yeah, and I, yeah. Um, But I find that like I can go if I haven't eaten, I can go much longer before I have breakfast, but then the second I eat, I'm the same. I just, I just don't stop. And I like even today, like today, I actually got up earlier, had a shower, like got dressed, made my breakfast, sat at my desk, ate like my porridge while I was working, and then I didn't stop eating. And then I had lunch, and then, like, <laughs> and and then I was eating like chocolate bars and having cups of tea and stuff till dinner. Like, yeah, I yeah. just. I just didn't stop eating. Like every, every like I ate, I ate like fruit and biscuits and <laughs> whatever. I had a, some homemade cake and things like like I just right after breakfast, like like ten minutes after I finished my breakfast, I started eating. Like I had a yogurt and then I had fruit and then I had like a handful of loose granola and stuff. <laughs> like I just kept going. Yeah. Well, well I'm, just, I'm so I'm not the same because I thought you were going to say something else, but I'm the same in that. So if I skip breakfast. I can probably skip lunch and not notice it. Uh, and I probably don't need to eat until like 7 o'clock that evening. But once I eat breakfast, that's me set for the day that, okay, now I need a meal in another six hours at the very least, and I need one four hours after that. But if I can, if I, if I miss breakfast for some reason, I can just go the entire day mostly until I need food again. Yeah. It's like my body doesn't... Uh, it's not. It does. It. It's like my body hasn't been reset to to its settings or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just on same. pause. It's weird. 
so yeah, my only hope is if I if I'm on an airplane that crashes uh, in the Andes in the snow and run out of food, I just hope it's in the morning and I haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> well, speaking of that, do you want to hear a full list of what they had? Oh yeah, definitely. So this this is when they after they got everybody sorted as best they could, they uh, took account of what supplies yeah. they had. It actually to be it actually looked like a little more in the film. So they had eight bars of chocolate. Oh god. A tin of mussels. Yeah. Three small jars of jam. A tin of almonds. A few a, a few dates. There's no they don't specify that. <laughs> some candles. I don't know why that was included. Maybe you can eat the wax. Uh some dried plums and around two dozen bottles of wine, so that's something. And then they uh, later they found all the cigarettes. Oh, mad. That's so little food to be on an airplane. But I suppose they charted it themselves and it was supposed to be only, whatever, a two, three hour flight. Oh, I think, yeah, I think even less. Like, they were just, like, going over a border, essentially. I think it was, like, I, I think it was, like, 90 minutes is what it should have taken. Oh, yeah. If they, well, I guess maybe that's if they went over the mountain, if it wasn't a, a shitty plane that couldn't reach above yeah, yeah. the altitude. Uh, like they were going, they they were. It was like it was like flying to England for us. Oh yeah, Did or would it be? How long does it take to fly to England? Oh, it's like oh, now forty or? minutes. Oh, yeah. Is it that? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got no concept of time. I I used to, just no just give you know, I used to live in Wolverhampton outside of Birmingham, and I fly from Dublin to Birmingham, and then it would take. The train from Birmingham to Wolverhampton was longer than my flight from Dublin, uh, and it was like the next city, like the closest city. Well, I loved it. Like a, a train from Dublin took always like three hours, but you can get a plane in like twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had a down to a fine art, like flying from. I knew exactly what time I had to leave my house. I knew, because I'd get the same flights all the time, and I knew exactly what time I had to leave my house in Wolverhampton, what train to get, when I get to the airport, like, how long the, like, the plane would be, like, I knew it was always the same terminal, the same gates, everything. And it used to be really funny, because going back, I used to always get this flight on a Monday morning, and my mum would always be like, oh, you have to be there two hours beforehand. I'm like, grand, 20 minutes before the flight's fine. I know what gate it is. And... Like, I guess the airport 20 minutes before, because I knew it could take me, like, seven minutes to get to the gate from the car if my mum dropped me at the door. And I knew I could do that and get through security. And, and I'd be, like, perfectly prepared for security. Like, the way you have to have your miniatures in a bag and you have to take your belt off and all that kind of stuff. I literally had, like, a specific outfit and bag that I brought with me that I knew was, like, perfect for security and I could get through that time that I didn't need a belt with these trousers and all that kind of shit, like... Yeah, because yeah, yeah. so, there was no waiting around for the plane, and it's like two hours hanging around the airport, nonsense. And uh, like I had it down to a fine art, and I'd I'd get this flight at like it was like five to nine in the morning, and then I'd get back, get back to my house in Wolverhampton, have lunch, and then I had a lecture, a college lecture at twelve o'clock, and I'd always make that lecture. <laughs> Do you know what I I I think I'm going to start enjoying waiting in airports a lot more now if because you know the way well depending on where you are but some airports have uh pianos in them smaller airports Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) when i was flying out of 
not Rome Airport, but the airport outside of Rome. I can't remember the name of it. Oh yeah, it's a small, it's a small enough airport, and they have a, a piano in the center of it. Yeah, for people to play. And not too long before it, I had learned the uh, team, the theme song from the, the Liam Neeson film The Grey, which is also <laughs> a survival <laughs> film about a plane crash. Yeah. And I sat down. And I played it like, kind of not on loop, but I played it like because it's it's a it's the same sort of musical, it's the same melody for a while. So I just played it for about ten minutes because I just knew that somebody in this airport is going to hear that, recognize it, and be shitting themselves <laughs> to get on the plane. <laughs> They're going to think it's some weird, weird sign. <laughs> and that's kind of sadistic but I thought it was hilarious and it made my wait for a plane far more enjoyable just knowing that um, I'm freaking somebody out now actually I thought this movie had a lot of parallels with the start of the grey um, with that plane crash I thought it was very similar actually. it's really similar if you even like when I was searching it the grey kept coming up as like any of the streaming services that didn't have Alive, they would recommend the grey instead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like there's there's about I'm gonna say twenty minutes where it's pretty much the same movie. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's mad. But Jesus, the the right sorry, the rations of what they had, like that has nothing for what was it, thirty three people when they landed? Thirty three people at the moment. Yeah. Well or actually I don't know if it's thirty three people by the time they actually cause that woman dies overnight, so it's probably... Ter- I think 33 survivors is who instantly survives, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But then it's... So it's probably 32, actually. Yeah. Because she dies. And Nando's mother dies a few days later. Yeah. Which we don't... I believe we don't see. Yeah. Actually, we should mention that. So Nando... Nando Parado. Yeah. Because uh, he, he's the hero of the film. He's an absolute badass. So he he had a skull fracture and was in a coma for three days. So, which is actually funny. You know, there's another character with a similar haircut to him. Yeah, yeah, I was a bit confused. Who's a bit of a dickhead? Yeah. Oh, for the entire first act, I was like, oh, I didn't. I I thought Ethan Hawke played like the hero in this film. I didn't realize that he played this minor dickhead role. Yeah. And then and then I see Nando waking up from the coma, and I was like, oh, that guy looks like that actor from Training Day. What's oh oh okay, that's Ethan Hawke. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say that though when he does wake up when he's around about and stuff he's a bit of an arsehole but then it becomes more like he's actually just like much braver and stuff because yeah, and he's also he, he he's got a, a serious concussion and he learns he wakes up to learn he didn't even know the plane went down he thought <laughs> it landed and he wakes up to learn oh you've you've just been in a plane crash your mother's dead your sister's dying yeah and yeah and he's got a concussion an untreated concussion yeah uh, so yeah i i think anything any behavior any bad behavior he had for the first few days completely forgivable oh yeah no it's just like and it's totally in the movie not necessarily reflecting on the weird the real life nando and stuff but i was, I was yeah. watching it and i was going oh he uh, so he's he's the first one to suggest cannibalism then, the day they actually decide uh, to eat people on his suggestion, uh, he doesn't partake, and his sister dies, and he says, "Oh, I hope you didn't eat my sister, but you can eat everyone else." Mm. I was like, "What a d- 
dickhead. Who is this guy? And then eventually, then he becomes like the main, like, oh yeah, we need to keep eating people. You know, like he's yeah, he's all behind it. Well, that's the funny thing. So people go back and forth on this. So when he suggests cannibalism, yeah. He says, he just says to one of the guys, look, we can't stay here after I feel, when I feel strong enough, I'm just going to climb over that mountain. Yeah. yeah. And a guy says to him, you'll never make it. You you won't have the strength. He's like, well, then I'll just eat one of the pilots. Yeah. yeah. I mean, fuck it. They got us into this mess. He, that, like, he's joking, right? That's just a joke. Now, I think it's one of those jokes you say where you're planting the idea to see how somebody reacts as well <laughs> I don't know I think he was being very, I think he was very clever I think he was like implanting the idea because he was starting to realise the situation they're in more than ever. now obviously that's that's a scene made for the movie but I'm sure it represents conversations he had a few times with people where I think he gradually may, might have just planted the seed that you know we could do this if we have if we're trapped here yeah yeah which is essentially his argument is we have meat. Yeah, yeah. And even to like because there's a few people who are very religious, and he's just like, well, their souls gone to heaven, so that's just meat and stuff. Um, which is yeah. Now I don't know if it was I was it him. I remember looking this up. Uh, I know one. So you have that religious character who um, was very against it. Yeah. yeah. And somebody, and I, I don't know if this was Nando, did bring up that, uh, well, first of all, they brought up the Eucharist that we, we eat. The, yes, the, yeah. the literal, it, in Catholicism, the, the bread and wine they serve is literally meant to be turned into the body and blood of Jesus. Yeah. So we do, if, if you believe in proper Catholicism and the Eucharist, then you believe that you are eating the literal body and blood of Jesus. Yeah, you believe you're eating human flesh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he brought up that argument, but also uh, John fifteen thirteen. Uh, no man hath greater love than he who lay down his life for his friends. It's a tenuous link, but like I can see how you can read that to be like, if you give permission, yeah, then it's okay. Which is why they all make the agreement. That's that, so, the vow, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a good argument against any sort of... <laughs> that's, that's the other thing, is that when they're all doing the vow, like, Nando's one of the last people to agree to it. It's <laughs> like, this guy, this fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then he's what he but says. I think, but I think his point, like, I think he planted the seeds that they could eat people. And I think... I think he wants to... St- I think the reason he's the last... Because you're talking about that scene where they're all sitting around in the plane. Yeah. And they all put their hand in on... A, like, they make a pact. Mm. And he's lying down and he's kind of... But the camera goes very close on him just watching them. I think that's meant to be more him just letting it play out. He just yeah. wants to make sure they all agree before he does. He just wants to let it unfold. I think that's his way of just making sure everybody agrees. I think that was Nando just being very clever where he planted the seed very early yeah. to try and like normalize it and get people to agree and he just let it unfold naturally. Yeah, he's very smart actually. His character is he's incredibly deceptive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or not deceptive. Um, 
manipulative, I guess. Put in a positive way, I suppose. Just yeah, yeah. No, I think he knew what they needed to do to survive, and yeah. he knew that that maybe the rest of them didn't. He he was just a smart he, guy. Yeah, he was a smart guy and a realist. I think is the mm. the main thing about it. Well, um, think about this: that entire team, that rugby team. So they all lived. The the the. I don't know in Uruguay. I don't know if they say states or counties or whatever the town wherever they lived it was a seaside community most of those members uh the first time they saw snow was on that mountain oh yeah shit man (laughs) that's how inexperienced they were for these conditions that altitude like they had no chance like it is an absolute miracle that anybody came off that mountain let alone 16 of them and like most of it is down to Nando. Yeah, yeah. Like from what from the seeds he planted early on to being the one to Go fucking decide to we're going to we're going to climb over the Andes Mountains with no gear. Like, yeah. and like he he's possibly one of the biggest badasses that ever lived. How many fucking excursions does he go on? He goes out they fail their first event. The, the first excursion, they fail because they meet the the cliff edge with the snow and then they barely make it back alive. And then they yeah. go out again to look for the tail of the plane. They find the tail of the plane, then realize the batteries are too heavy to carry. Go back, get the guy who's they think can fix the radio, then go bring him back to the tail of the plane and then it doesn't work. So then they go all the way back again to the survivors. And then a couple of weeks later, he decides to go hike out to fucking Chile. <laughs> like, my yeah, God, yeah. that is a lot and of that's just what, And that's just what's in the movie. Yeah. Because, so but long before they, they decide, well, they tied with the idea of cannibalism. But they did go on expeditions to try and uh, find food elsewhere to see if they could, like, hunt an animal and stuff. So the same group that ended up going out in the end, they went, they made numerous trips. Now, they only got, like, half a mile out. But in those conditions, that might as well be 100. But they had loads more, like, he was the the one who was just trying to get out the whole time. Yeah. And the, the... Resorting to cannibalism was a necessity, but was also, it was necessary to keep the others alive. The people who who just weren't, you know, physically strong enough, but also just, they didn't have the will to to travel. That they were going to be, they were going to be kept there in the plane no matter what. So a lot of it was just, the cannibalism was kind of to keep them alive. Yeah. Well, it was to keep them all alive, but. I know what you mean. Uh... Yeah, it, it's fucking amazing. Like, like, could you do that? <laughs> I was just about to ask you the same question. Um, yeah, I, I was like, like, one question I was, I had in my head I was going to put to you was, would you stay with the plane or would you leave? And... Well, I think that that's what I was actually going to say. Like, I've always had the mentality that on day one, I'd be like, why, look... Uh, why just wait here to die? I can die halfway down the mountain. I can die 
20 yeah. feet away. It doesn't really matter to me. I might as well just try. I'd... I probably think... My thinking would be if there is, like, search, searches out and rescues out, finding you with the plane is your best chance. But mm. I wouldn't give that any more than a week. Like, a couple of days. Yeah, like after, and after would they day, learn... day three or four, I'd be like, okay, on a day that's the best weather, I'm walking down this mountain. You know what I mean? I'd be... Yeah. I wouldn't be sitting there for three or four weeks or like, fuck that. No way. Um, um, yeah. Now, now, speaking of the search, it was called off very early. Yeah, yeah. But they were searching the wrong so, area because pilots went off course. Were, yeah, so they were given the wrong area, uh, first of all. But also, they did, and we you see it in the film, they do actually fly over where, where the crash was. Oh, yeah. But the... Uh, it's like spotting a, a white plane on a white mountain <laughs> when you're whatever however far up they would have been they just didn't see them which yeah, is terribly like, sad and you think about that like the height of the Andes as well like that plane had to be at whatever height and still be considered low flying because they're overland like, yeah. it's too high that... to even see a pile of people around a white plane and even like yeah. some of them had sheets of metal they're trying to reflect with and everything, and like you still wouldn't see them. So use the same attitude. You'd uh, you'd you'd leave much sooner. Yeah, I fuck it. Like I understand. Like obviously, well, the thing is, the weather conditions are so bad. You're not going to survive. They're <laughs> they're in the it's winter. Yeah, but. I'd rather die my feet weaker. on my back. <laughs> well, that's it. But you're, you're just going to get weaker with no food. Yeah. And like, imagine, like, you think of how much food you need anyway, but you're at that altitude. Yeah. Where there's so much extra strain on your body. You're, you just need more. It's like, just try, like, I would just want to try and get out of it as soon as possible. Yeah, I'd rather... It sounds terrible, but I'd rather walk myself to exhaustion and die than yeah. sit around wasting away. Like, I don't know. That's... And a lot of it is, too. Like, I'd rather do that than having to eat my friends, you know? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> but but that's going so that's going to be an option. You're going to have to do that at some point, either way. Yeah. yeah. There's, no, there's no natural vegetation, no animals to hunt. No. They ran out of food after a week, and they even yeah. like they were so desperate they tried to eat parts of the plane. Ugh. Like not the actual plane, but they tried to eat like parts of the seats, like the oh, cotton, like the leather, and the cotton. Yeah. yeah, and like fully aware that the chemicals in that leather would probably do them more damage than good, but like having just having something in my stomach. Yeah. It's at that point, it's just the psychological effects of it, where you just it's desperation. Yeah, yeah, that's like the, back to the uh, the classic um, Charlie Chaplin movie. Um, oh fuck, what's it called? Um, where he's in the snow. Oh, I can't think. The Gold Rush. Yes, it's Gold Rush. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's um, yeah, it's the whole thing in the Gold Rush where he's stuck in the mountains, 
and he does this really it's fucking hilarious. He does this great scene where he um, eats his own shoes. Um, oh yes, yeah, yeah. And like he like boils them and eats his shoes and stuff. And I'm pretty sure there's a scene where another guy is trying to eat him, and he's like trying to get away from him. Uh, that kind of rings a bell, kind of like an because it's kind of like an Alfred Packer kind of situation. Mm. Well, because it's the gold rush. Yeah, it's like he's in a cabin with the guy, and the guy like is mm. looking at it. Like it could possibly be the first thing where there's that joke where someone looks at someone and they glimmer into food, and like he looks at him. Fate, and the, the, the transition to like a, just a juicy steak. Yeah, yeah, I think I like it. I'm pretty sure that's in that. And he's like looking at Charlie, and he sees him as like a steak or something. Yeah, but this is great thing where he eats his shoes, and they made, um, like, like f- f- shoes out of food, and then he eats oh, them on okay. camera. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's Definitely. one of those like cool effects. Where... Well, you remember that from well our yesteryear's news today episode on the Donner Party, which we yeah. then uploaded as a, we recycled it for an episode of Disaster Artists, which oh, I always yeah. found funny because technically we're an episode behind what whatever number we say we're at because <laughs> yeah, we just we just recycled it just such a sly way to do it we did an intro yeah i guess that counts and we also covered it on the road episode so if people haven't heard either of them go back and listen to them they're they should be together but yeah the donner party there was a similar thing where like they were just like they ate any animal that died and like they would like boil the bones and try and make a bra out of it they were eating straw from fucking cushions and stuff. Like, you know, they were they were eating anything that could have any possible nutritional value because they knew that it was just a matter of time before they turned to cannibalism. And all of that is just to put yeah. off the inevitable, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, I know, obviously, because it's our podcast, that's how we talk about things, but it, overall in the movie, it's not that big a part of it if you know what i mean it, i i really liked that though yeah which i, I thought that was great. a really good move to be like this isn't this is something they had to do and it was horrible yeah it was horrible for them to have to do this but this shouldn't be what everybody remembers from the film yeah, or so from their story it's not a movie about cannibalism it's a movie that has cannibalism in it if you know what i mean yeah, it's just it's just a movie about survival, and yeah, yeah. that's just an element of it. I think because there's about I'd say it's about te- there's a ten minute the, the scene where they first like where they decide they're going to do this as a group, oh, and one of them hands the other the the glass that they're going to use as a knife, and he's like, "Someone take and this off me." Yeah, there's one guy I can't remember his name, but he's a main character. He's the guy, like he he's, the he's kind of the leader of the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he take he he's the one who takes the first bite, and it's a tight like he it's a tiny little piece, but just to be the first to do it, yeah. And then he cuts two other pieces and says, "Somebody take this." Yeah, and it's just it's a, fun, a it's a horrible scene. And but, but like I was thinking about it, like at least at that stage, it's like a body that's been in the snow for a while, and it's like frozen, and it's almost like eating like jerky or something. And then later on, when I think it's when they're going off to look for the tail of the plane, and it's Nando, Ethan Hawke's character, is he's packing supplies, and he just has these like fresh cutlets that he's just putting into a sack, and you're just like, oh, that's a real different 
thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, 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 it gets worse later. And there's another scene later where the other guy is just sitting on a chair outside and he's just got a bone in his hand and he's kind of just picking at it. Not oh, yeah. a bone, like, but... but yeah, something. It becomes a bit more casual later into the film. But the focus is only for that, like, 10-minute oh, scene. Yeah. And then, yeah, you get that those little glimpses throughout the film later to just remind you that this is how they're living now they're it's just become every day for them like it's uh... yeah well it becomes every day but they also still don't have a whole lot of it like they were still they still weren't actually getting much nutrition no and and um sorry yeah where i like i know like I, most of them were like 80 pounds most of them were eight like 80 pounds or something when they were rescued yeah yeah well the, i think that's one thing I think the film didn't do very well is like none of them seem to have lost any weight in the movie. Yeah, well, it was a period where people just weren't doing that. Yeah, where like if you were going to make that movie now, like half the actors would starve themselves for like a week. Yeah, well, the if you got if, if you got Christian Bale to play every <laughs> role, yeah, or yeah, they do they do that is they'd they'd film like the first half of the movie and then come back six months later and they are all be on crazy diets and then do the rest of the movie. Um, Nowadays, they'd probably actually CG. Or CG. Or CG yeah. um, so I, was, I, I, like, I was joking earlier about like, oh, maybe there was no avalanche, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there was a, I read a quote and it was one of them saying that um, as horrible as the avalanche was, it gave them more food. <laughs> when it happened mm. and like it that retrospectively looking back on it that uh without that avalanche they wouldn't have survived because it reduced their numbers and gave them more food and he's like yeah that, that's that's the basic horrible facts of the situation it was like that avalanche was horrible but it was a blessing in disguise really because it made meant we could survive for another three or four weeks or whatever it was after that you know it's, which is just awful. It's awful, but a better way to think of that, because I read something that Nando had written about uh, post the avalanche, where that's, because it was post the avalanche where he got really obsessed with trying to get off the mountain. And his thinking there was, because a a further eight people died after the avalanche, and so they ate them, and he had this feeling that they now owed it to the people that didn't make it to get off the mountain they just wouldn't have been worth it so and that's where like you see them like drying out the meat and shit so as they could pack to bring on their journey because they're now serving they like his way was that the eight people that died that they're who saved them yeah so they better survive to make that sacrifice worthwhile yeah or they're or they're they're sac- yeah exactly yeah, yeah. No, that, like, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It's a great way to look at things. It's harsh. It's, it's a harsh way to have to, to have to live. But like, it takes a very strong-willed person to, to see things like that and to, to continue on that, that fucking journey across the Andes Mountains. It's hard to be standing in a snowy mountain and turn to the group and go, when life gives you lemons, <laughs> <laughs> can we just we we should point out as well that Nando was nineteen. I didn't realize that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, like 
So whatever about us, how we how we'd react now? How do you think you would be in this situation when you were nineteen? But like, nineteen-year-old Johnny and nineteen-year-old Shane were just these idiot stoners. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, nineteen-year-old Johnny didn't even know nineteen-year-old Shane no, no. because you were twenty when we met. Yeah. That's how. That's how young that is. I know. Yeah. Uh, and like he he had been through not been through the worst physically a lot of them like well they were all through you can't fucking compare the tragedy at that point but he had been through so much like if ever there was a reason uh, like if ever a person had the right to just give up and go and die in a corner by themselves like he was he was it but I, I liked that his motivation was that his mother had died his sister had died he couldn't live in a world where his father lost his wife, his daughter, and his son so yeah, to survive. Yeah. So his father didn't have to live without him. Like I think that, that's yeah. incredible. Like that's just man, what a fucking hero! I just yeah, it's not every day you go. That guy who ate those people, what a hero! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jesus Christ, man! Actually, I'm so so um. I, I guess it was on the DVD release of Alive. There was like a, a retrospective documentary. Oh, yeah. But it included a lot of behind the scenes yeah. from the actual making of the film. And so Nando was actually there on set for most of it. Yeah, he was like technical advisor. Yeah. And so that's why it's so accurate, even in the, the placement of t- things on the plane and stuff. And it, it's so weird, like... There, there's a scene in the making of where him and the two other guys who went on the the final expedition to look for help, yeah. where where they come to see the set. Oh yeah, and it's oh it's so fucking weird because like they arrive, they're dropped off on the Canadian Rockies in a helicopter and they get off and you just see the fuselage and you just see the plane the the front of the plane. And like the bodies, the prop bodies oh, on the snow yeah. and all, and they just walk by it. And like, it's so weird that they just visited the set and it just looked exactly how it looked in 1972 when they were there. Oh. And it, it's weird for a making of documentary. It gets very fucking like personal. Yeah. Where I must watch that. N- Nando Nando's okay with it because I think he's seen it already at this point. Yeah. But the other two boys are just like, "Oh shit!" But like, think think about doing that. Like you're in your like for years afterwards. That would just be every night in your sleep. That's where your brain would go. You know what I mean? And then to go and face it in reality again, like, oh fuck me, <laughs> yeah, it's <That's> hard. <laughs> And they and they had a hard time too. So when they finally uh, got off the mountain, like they they were heroes because they survived this, and and so they should be, and they, and they still should be. But after a few weeks, like the media, the media just fucking hounded them. So they were very honest straight away. Like when they were, even Nando apparently had conversation when when they were coming back. So Nando had to. When, that's the funny thing as well. So Nando and your man, they finally got help. They they met some Chilean farmers yeah, yeah. who didn't even speak English and were the other side of the lake when they finally met them. Yeah. So have you heard about this? Some of it, yeah. yeah. 
So these Chilean farmers saw these. There's an interview online with the Chilean farmers who found them. Obviously, it's a voiceover translating it. But he's just like, oh, we just thought they were backpackers. So we thought nothing more of it. And then, like, they kind of looked a bit, like, rough. So we thought, if they're here tomorrow, we'll uh, we'll try talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the guys had to stay at the other side of the lake overnight. And the next morning, because they, 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 they figured they probably didn't speak the same language. So the farmer brought back, like, a note, uh, like a sheet of paper. And he strapped it to a rock with a pen and threw it over the lake. Because oh, there was no bridge. There was no way to get across to them. And so Nando wrote what had happened that their survivors from the plane from like two months ago or whatever threw it back to him. The farmer looked at it, gibberish to him. He didn't speak the language. So he had to go get it translated. (laughs) Yeah, and then bring people back. And then Nando had to join the search party to like hey he had to actually go up in the helicopter yeah, yeah. to show them where the plane was which is shown in the film so it, it so nando's and and your man i keep i i, I forget his name i feel bad oh. just calling sorry i'm trying to remember I th- oh yes yeah i think you're right i just felt bad calling him your man because he went on the same journey as nando but like so yeah, they, he's roberto because you would think you would think they like they got a, like a meal or something know, yeah. before they. Sure, they did. They might have. I think actually it was a thing where like what actually caused them some problems after where when they were rescued they were kind of just like given huge um, just a feed. Uh, yeah, and, that's the worst thing. Uh, yeah, so a lot of them actually had like severe medical problems after. Yeah, yeah. You can have like serious kidney problems if you fast for too long, and then. That, that was a big problem with. Auschwitz when American soldiers are not in any concentration camp in World War Two when American soldiers found them they just started giving them like chocolate bars and rations yeah. and stuff and they like, could literally like eat themselves to death because they were starving so. Would you believe that's actually one of the biggest um, health risks for MMA fighters? Oh really? Yeah because they drop weight so fast before fights mm. And then, like, have to because they lose a lot of water weight just to, to just to make oh, weight, of and then like are craving sugar and stuff. After there's a case where there was one guy where he he lost like fucking thirty pounds or something ridiculous in water weight, wow. uh, just to make weight, and then he ate like he just like craved sugar and he ate like a bag of jelly beans <laughs> afterwards, and he went into he went into a coma. Oh, shit, <laughs> like a like. He was fine. Yeah, so it's yeah. okay to laugh. But That's imagine mad. going into a coma from eating a bag of jelly beans. That's crazy. So actually, so something I want to say, because this is actually what I was meant to say. Yeah. Until I went on that tangent talking about how they found the farmers. But, so the media, that's why I was saying yeah. yes, the media. So they, they told the rescue party and the Chile, I think it was the Chilean military that, that led the rescue party. Uh, also, it worth noting that they weren't rescued straight away. It took two or three days to take them all off. Oh, yeah, that's fine. So, but they dropped supply. They they brought supplies, oh, yeah. and they were at least warm for. And I think that might be where they were given food, like as supplies, yeah, and they just ate everything they were given straight away. Because yeah, you would. Of course, you would. Yeah, yeah. But everybody just agreed that okay, fair enough. That's 
of course you did. <laughs> people are like, yeah, of course you yeah, did. Yeah. That. Like people that knew the the shit they were in, like actual military people, yeah. other survivalists were like, yeah, that's grand. Yeah. And that was it. So they were hailed as heroes, but then the media got their hands on a photo. Oh yeah, from the wreck that showed the bodies outside the plane, and it showed like just. <laughs> Well, I think it was specifically, it showed, like, two legs that were clearly picked to the bone oh, kind yeah. of thing. And they published them in the paper, uh, and the public just turned on them. Uh, Which, and, and they've all, like, talked about it being, like, of the entire experience, from the moment that wing hit the first mountain yeah. to where they are in life this moment, the worst part of that journey. Oh, yeah was how the media treated them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> which which just says how much of scumbags the meat that the fucking gutter press is yeah. that you can fucking survive in the fucking Andes in the in the most harshest environment on earth for seventy two days going through absolute hell. But when you get home, how the press treats you is still worse. <laughs> <laughs> like that's sick. Now, eventually, people came around. I think, actually, a big part of it. And this is another thing. That same podcast I was listening to earlier talked about how the church turned on them. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, which And, yeah, of course, I accepted that completely. But I looked it up. That isn't true at all. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently, like, the, the, the bishop of their... Not parish. What's a bishop? What's a bishop in charge of? Uh, diocese. No? Diocese. Uh, he was the first. He he publicly defended them. He was the first. He he was interviewed yeah. when this all came out and defended it completely and talked about uh, as a survive its survival and he talked about the soul. The 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 body is just a vessel for the soul. And once if you if if you allow the soul to leave the body, that there's nothing else left there. Basically, just um just so you know where my brain went when you said, "Oh, the bishop is the first one to." Like come out publicly and defend them. Uh, the first thing I think of, like in his speech, is like because I eat children all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how that how that would happen. <laughs> but just the point that yeah, like the church actually supported them, and if if you see that uh, written in any story about them or on a podcast that the church turned on them, it's not true. That's really interesting thinking about this so it is episode 88 there's a lot of badasses that we uh that, that, that pop up in this podcast you know fucking joel from the last of us yeah. i think is probably i think he's probably the top of the list for me anyway yeah i find it very hard to disagree with you on that yeah the classic like max from mad max uh yeah. mad max 2 <laughs> yeah and even Fury, like Fury Road, I think is actually the best Max. Yeah, yeah I suppose yeah. Um, but but they're all pretty cool. But I think it, it's between it's usually between him and Joel. Uh, I can't think of it. Like okay, so we we done Old Man Logan slash Old Man Rogan. Yeah. He's obviously a contender, but I think it's unfair to pick him because he's not human. Like he he's a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Um. As far as like actual humans, I always think Max and Joel from The Last of Us are probably the biggest badasses 
you could have if if you were to put together your your survival team, they'd be on it. Yeah. But looking at this film and the real life story, I think Nando might have them beat. Yeah. I don't think Joel would have survived this. Not to give any spoilers away for The Last of Us Part 2. You you are far enough to know this already. Yeah, yeah. Um, he fucked up in that. So uh, I don't think... I think Nano might be the, the biggest survivor. badass in, in anything we've covered. He's the best survivor. And he's a guy who had no experience with. He he. It was sheer will that... And again, we're for, not to forget the other people that, that done done the same journey. So I'm kind of including all of them under Nando, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's like what they done is fucking incredible. We normally do this episode with what we would have done differently. I, I don't think we'll do that here because what I'd have done differently is I'd have died after like ten days. <laughs> That's what I'd have done differently. <laughs> Like <laughs> you mentioned at the start, because in the movie is a weird scene where there's three of them go off and they send one of the, the other guy back. Um, so the movie, this is the last expedition. You're yeah, going. and in the movie they're like, "Oh, you should just go back. We're gonna keep going." And he's like, "Okay." And then the way the movie's shot, like, you, I don't really recall seeing his character back at the plane you know what i mean he does make it back in real life but it, then i don't recall the characters are like oh he's come back and they kept going like there's never a conversation there's never a scene where he arrives back and they're like what happened or you know there's none of that well they kind of say the intent so so nando goes over a mountain they think they've got to the final like big mountain and nando climbs to the top of it and he tells this dude that Oh, you, you'll never believe what I see here. Go get the other guy whose name I forget. And I think, like, and then it's revealed when the other guy gets up there that it's just more mountains. Yeah, there's so much more to go. But but Nando just couldn't. He, I think Nando just, they knew if they told the other guy, he'd lose hope. Yeah. So they just sent him back to tell the others that they, they see a path. Yeah. And everything's going to be okay. Because he knows that this other, he can convince the other guy that it's still worth going forward. Yeah, but they don't want. I'm just calling them all these guys because I forget names. But the third guy that goes back, they know that he'll lose hope if they, if he sees what's the other side. Yeah, so they kind of nearly use him as a way to keep morale up for the others, don't they? Which is, it's so noble. Because <laughs> I think at that point, Nando thinks that okay, we're definitely walking walking into death's valley like yeah, yeah and we just keep going um, and it, oh there's this heartbreaking moment where roberto's like i think i see a road and uh apparently that was real he thought he saw a road and some yeah. hikers and researchers researchers took the same route and he did see a road for real but it was like 33 miles away i think yeah yeah so it was a road. Now, it would have been like they ended up kind of walking that far anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, I wonder in that scenario, which do you think? Because so you're you're in an area of the world where a lot of people live in small, like, 
not tr- quite tribal not what we think of as tribal but they're practically like tribal communities like farmers and shepherds and stuff so i do wonder where are you more likely to meet somebody on a road or near a source of water oh definitely near a source of water <laughs> yeah because that road how that road could stretch for 100 miles and you might see nobody it's just there for like the odd you've been off for another two weeks and a truck driver goes by and ignores yeah (laughs) all all those roads in in that part of the world all those roads are used for is not shipping because they're not on ships but um goods good yeah like uh, because i remember watching have you watched um the long way around or any of them ian mcgregor there's so many times on that where they're just driving on a road for days and they don't meet anybody. Yeah, there's a great one. It's a long way around where they come across a truck that's like tipped over and there's a the truck driver's just asleep and, the, and he's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It's grand. Keep going. <laughs> don't mind me. <laughs> Have you watched the most recent one, Long Way No, around? I haven't watched that one yet. It's, it's very good. It's nice to see them back. Oh, uh, yeah, I must watch that one. They're doing it on electric bikes this time. Oh, really? That's so dumb. Yeah. That's why they wanted to do it, just to, just to, to be the first to do it. Most Almost every episode is just them being like, yeah, this is a bad idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> they can only get like 70 kilometers before it needs a recharge. Oh, well, that's terrible. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah. It's good. I think Hugh McGregor just got really into, like, he, he he's living in... You see his house in the, at the start of it, and it just looks like he's living in a shack up the mountains, <laughs> and everything is just solar powered. Oh, hey. And it's just really oh, yeah. bizarre. You're just like, you're in Star Wars. This is weird. Yeah. It's a great moment in um, it's a Long Way Down, and they go to where they filmed uh, like Tatooine, like Luke's. Yeah, <laughs> and nobody recognizes him. When he, he turns the camera and goes, you don't know who I am. <laughs> I I love the fact because he, he's uh, he's not like a, you get the impression he's just not a typical celebrity. No, like he, he's just he's, a, he's just a fucking good Scottish lad. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want anybody to notice him or anything like that. But he loves when people recognize him from Star Wars. Yeah. To the point that, like, there's loads of parts where he'll, in Long Way Up, where they'll meet, like, a bunch of children, and they'll do, like, the dance from Fortnite, and he's like, oh, you played Fortnite? I said, well, you've probably seen Star Wars, so have you? <laughs> he, he 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 just loves being recognized from that. He seems really proud of the fact that he's in Star Wars, just because he grew up with it, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But he's of the generation where it was like, he probably saw, like, because they Return of the Jedi in the cinema. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think a lot of it's actually the fact that he Alex Alec Guinness is like his hero. Yeah, it's not so much just Star Wars, but that he's continuing a role that his hero played. Yeah, yeah. they're they're doing a, an Obi Wan series um, for Disney mm. Plus. He's going to be doing, reprising his role, so it's like set whatever. How many years is it since he did it? Like twenty years, so it'll be twenty years after. It's the perfect time. Yeah, yeah, where he's all like it, it's the time where it'd be like ten years before where Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie starts. Yeah, apparently he is now something like that. Exactly, he's ten years younger than Alec Guinness was in the the first Star Wars movie. That's mad. And um, even though Alec Guinness looked like thirty years older than he does now. Yeah. So, 
I guess we we would normally end this with a question of do we survive? I think we've already answered. I'm saying no. You know what? I think we do survive on the one condition that uh, Nando <laughs> is a survivor on the same crash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm still alive. laughs> Because I think I could follow him. Just yeah, I think his uh, he could encourage you to just help out, do your thing, get you through it. Um, I think I think him and and you know obviously a number of the others whose names I forget and I feel bad about that. Not like any of them are going to hear it, but I do feel bad not being able to remember all the other heroes' names. But I think a scenario. My point is, I think a scenario like this, I think if you survive the initial crash, I think it all comes down to the people you're with and how you work together and work together and come together and yeah, yeah just keep pushing on. I think you, you, but you need somebody, you need a Nando to, to, to do that. I think like if he wasn't on this plane or if he, if he didn't wake up from his coma, if he died on the impact yeah i think that yeah we don't know about this story then no, they all would have yeah mm. and like there's even the guy he's like the captain of the rugby team he tries leading and after like however many days or weeks like he can't do it anymore like he just doesn't have it in him and then i think he dies in the avalanche doesn't he I'm not, they all they all have the same haircut so it's so hard to so Stephanie's haircuts it's really hard to tell like you can only remember Nando because because of the stuff he does and because Ethan Hawke plays him yeah and he's more famous now than he was in 1994 <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's yeah it's hard to tell um I really like too actually watching the making of the behind the scenes stuff yeah I feel like with the, that yeah when Nando is on set, there's loads of moments you can just see that Ian Hawke's like sticking to him and just listening to everything he says, like oh, to really? get as much to get as much information. But he's clearly like mimicking character traits and stuff as well, yeah. which is probably hard to do when you're like speaking English and it in an American accent. But yeah, I just I, I just liked how he like seeing how he was like very curious to learn everything about. The, the situation I I didn't realise like obviously I, I copped on very quickly but I didn't from my memory of this movie is I didn't realise they like went for Red October that, <laughs> where they're all American but they're still named like Nando and Roberto yeah <laughs> like, it's weird it, well it's funny a few of them are like South American yeah. actor like of of like, Latin descent, yeah. yeah, and then some of them are just Eaton Hawk, who looks like he's fr- like I don't know where Eaton Hawk's from. I'm guessing New England. Yeah. <laughs> like he has that look to him. But I mean, if you actually look at the in the make, like the the real life Nando, actually, he's got a bit of an accent, but he speaks perfect English. Probably sp- spoke perfect English at the time. Obviously, they weren't speaking English to each other. Eaton Hawk is from Austin, but, Texas. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. But um, like the the real life Nando actually kind of looks like Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Because they were all from an Irish Catholic school, so they probably all spoke English. And yeah, like they had a they had a teacher who was an an Irish man. 
yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a priest who's an Irish man. It's probably what. Oh, I'd say so. most of their most of them probably. Like yeah. that's a thing with a lot of like South American uh, yeah. Catholic sure organizations. Probably selling guns for the IRA to rebels in South America. That's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> and they all. Uh, I'm sure you'll be, you'll be pleased to know they're all still very good friends. They oh, meet yeah. three to four times a year and have a game of rugby together. I was going to say, it's, and, and enjoy a nice pork dinner. <laughs> now, they probably don't do that anymore. They're fairly old now, but up until the 90s, they still met up and played rugby. Uh, they all get together for a nice charcuterie board. It's, I imagine, uh, why isn't that a bit awkward? <laughs> so the, the, the question we always ask each other when we do an episode that has cannibalism in it, in this scenario, do you think you could uh, eat the dead people around you to survive? Um, I think it's a really hard thing to answer because I think that's like the it's like the could you kill a man? Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, probably, but I don't know when when it comes down to it, who knows what happened. I think yes, but yeah, I'm... maybe when faced with it, I might try it and just get sick like a lot of de- them did, and then not be able to do it again. Yeah. Most of them ended up being able to do it in the end, so I think I, w- I think most people probably would. I think if you get desperate enough, yeah. and if everybody else is willing to do it, and you know that, well, I'm not going to be... Nobody's going to shun me for this. Not until the fucking gutter press gets their hands yeah, on it, yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah, I think most people probably would. I think I, think yeah, I, I think would. so, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so once, situational in this. Like, yeah, but it's once everybody's doing it, I think that that's a big... Once it's an agreement amongst everybody. Yeah. And I think especially when, you know, when you make that pact, like they make in it, that, yeah. you know, if I die, I want you to eat me. Yeah. So as you can survive. I think that makes a huge difference. Then I think... Yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot easier to swallow. <laughs> um, Happy Christmas, folks. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> play some christmas music there we should like start singing um yeah no i think i I (laughs) no i think i I think it would i think most people i think most people should if you're in that scenario and that's like what you have uh it's a matter of survival like there's no reason not to yeah because in a way i think to say you shouldn't then you're almost like are you like if people if you're saying like oh i'd never do that that's crossing a line well then are you saying like that they were wrong well i i kind of go back to whatever your beliefs are religious or agnostic as the guy keeps saying the way to look at it is at the end of the day that is just meat that's it but i think if like because i i obviously would not like having to do it so i think my thing would be if we had to do it i'd be like okay i'm just going to i'm gonna get my fill right now then I'm going to, I'll take some to have later and I'm just going to go off looking for help now. I don't want to, like, I wouldn't want to be sitting in the mountains for like another 40 days picking flesh off bones. I'd be like, okay, if we're going to have to do this, I'm going to eat enough now to get my energy back up. Then I'm going to take, take some, wrap it up and I'm just fucking going looking for help. And if I die yeah, on that journey, fine. But this is going to give me energy to look for help and off I go. That'd be I, I just I, I would not want to be sitting in the mountains 
eating my friends for 40 days. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. I'd never do that. Absolutely. I'd use it to get enough energy that I could just push on and yeah. I'd bring some with me and whatever happens to me after that. It's fair happens. game. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's exactly my attitude. But I still think Nando have done the right thing. The way he like got the others to do it, to keep them going, and then he, he fucked off and looked for help himself. Not himself, what other people. Keep forgetting them. Yeah, Roberto <laughs> and neutral guy. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But so we don't survive. Is that the answer? We're uh or we survive if we're with now. Well, yeah, their big thing was, Roberto's big thing was that it was turning to spring because they flipped it in the movie for Western audience, I suppose. But yeah, um, yeah. It's, it was December, but it was that's going into summer for that region of the world. So they were there for winter going into spring, I think. Um, so they waited for spring for it to get warmer and for some of the snow to melt before they went on their expedition. Where in the movie it's March, they wait till March, where because they're pretending they're in the northern hemisphere for some reason. <laughs> for audiences to understand it better, the madness of King George. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to King George the Third, because nobody thought it was a sequel. <laughs> You've heard about that? No. Oh, okay. You know the film, The Madness of King George, or wait, is it King George? Yeah, it is. Yeah. That that film is the madness of King George the Third, but the name was changed to just the madness of King George, because <laughs> they were worried that uh, people would think it was the third part of a series. Oh yeah, and they won't, and they're like, oh well, I never saw the madness of King George one and two. So, <laughs> well, okay, so to wrap it up really quickly, so yeah. we for, let's forget about the whether we survive. Yeah, if you were to be taking this journey, if you were to get a plane across the Alps, yeah. Or the Andes. Or the Andes, yeah, not the Alps. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could do it if you're going across the Alps either. Yeah. But yeah, so you're going across the Andes. Uh, is there any one thing you could pack into your luggage, into your bug out bag, that would make this uh, a more survivable situation? And you can do it in a 2020 context. Um, I would bring some pork rub with me. <laughs> I'd just bring some seasoning. Yeah, salt and a nice chili sauce. Yeah, yeah. some Tabasco or yeah. sriracha, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a satellite phone. Just, <laughs> but no, I think I like. I, I was surprised by how much I actually liked this film. I was expecting it not to hold up at all. Yeah, uh, it gave me such an appreciation for what they went through. I thought like it really done justice to that that scenario that i think i think films when they do a true story they don't really capture how miserable it is and with this film a lot of the time you did get the impression that uh this is still a hollywood film and it's not it's not nearly as uh, harrowing as the real story was but it got so so much closer than a lot there. oh big time yeah yeah that's it yeah they fucking they climbed over the Andes with no gear in 10 days and saved their friends that's fucking incredible people like people have redone people have uh, like actual like recreated mountain men have have recreated the, the journey and not made it and you also have to add that 60 days of being almost starving 
Yeah, weighing about weighing about a hundred pounds, like. And of course, the reason the 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 seasoned mountain men haven't made the journey is because they didn't need to. That's it. They were just doing it to see if they could, but they had no. They weren't in survival mode. No, they had an out. Yeah, and that's why they couldn't do it. Yeah, which is amazing. That's a testament to just the, the humans' will to survive. Oh yeah, like I, I think when we did Donner Party, we came to the same conclusion that it was better to leave rather than stay there. Even though there was a party who left and died, but yeah, I'd be well, part of that group than the group who stayed behind and uh, didn't eat horse hooves but ate their own children. Yeah. Um, yeah. better to die on your feet than eating your friend's feet <laughs> <laughs> you know because you it's okay to eat the leg but you know when you get to the feet that's when you know there's fuck all left yeah, yeah. so better to die on your feet than eat your friend's feet I think that's a good, uh, that's good. good mantra to live by I want that in a t-shirt I think I, I think we just got a, a new a new addition to our tea public store <laughs> I think that's it I think that's I think that's it. I think. Um, Happy Christmas. I think this actually turned into a, a quite a feel good festive episode. Yeah. <laughs> did it? I don't know if it did. I feel like it got very positive at the end. And on Christmas Day, when you're eating your traditional child shoulder, just think of Saint Nick. <laughs> and <laughs> have a nice Christmas. <laughs> And a merry new year. Stay safe and be uh, prepared to bring salt.